you have one out tonight, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, that's where we're going to be this afternoon. It's been a blessing um, getting the opportunity to speak and, and open God's Word and minister. I've enjoyed it. It's, it's what I feel I'm called to do, and it's been, it's been a, an honor to be able to fulfill that, um, what I feel the Lord's will on my life is. So I thank you for the opportunity for this and, and to speak even tonight. And just, just being able to dive into different books of the Bible and learn more about God as I prepare to, to give a message, it really does work on my heart first. And um, this message the Lord did put on my heart is First Peter. It's a beautiful book, you know, First Peter. It was, it was penned by Simon Peter, who we learned about this morning a little bit of his life, about his name and what that meant. So I thought it um, fit and connected really well with what, I, what, I, what the Lord put on my heart tonight. It was penned by Simon Peter, um, but this was a very different period of life for him than what we learned about. It wasn't his early life. It would have been later in his life that he wrote First Peter. And it's to a couple different group of believers we see in, in verse 1, if you want to look there with me. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing to a group of believers who is, who are spread out, um, throughout Asia Minor. And, and it's a message of this. It's a message of hope. Peter writes this, uh, this letter to these believers, primarily Christians is, is who this is geared towards. And he writes this as an encouragement to them because they were in a time where they were first facing per- persecution. And whether they were amidst it in the moment or it was coming their way, either way, what we know is that this, this letter was to prepare them to, to be properly equipped for persecution that they were going to face. And so with the Lord's help, I'm going to preach to you a message entitled, Faith in the Furnace. Faith in the Furnace. So I'll look back at verse 3 with me. I'm going to start reading there, and then I'm going to open up in a word of prayer. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me open up in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity I have to preach your word, Lord, thank you for putting this message on my heart and help me to relay it in a, in a cohesive way, Lord, and please calm my nerves and, and help me tonight. Please pray that we'd get something out of it, out of your word, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it's been a great opportunity to visit some of you all throughout this, this summer. I've enjoyed getting to know you and seeing where you live and, and hearing about you and learning about you. Like Brother West said, we had the opportunity to go and almost die at his house the other night, so that was Fun. He almost drowned us, but no grudges or anything. But um, yeah, it's been fun to, to have these opportunities. We've also had opportunities to see what some of you do, some of your professions. We went out to, to Brother Rich's farm uh, a couple weeks ago, and he showed us his land and what he does. And, and it was really enjoyable getting a tour and just seeing what he does. We went to... Uh, um, the, the gentleman, Brother John, who did our bust into the windows, been to his business a couple times, seen what he does and what he did for us. It was, it was an encouragement just to see believers and what they do and, and making an impact just, if not in ministry, just through what they do. And I've really, I really enjoyed that. You know, I was reading a, an article about different jobs, random jobs that no one 
thinks about. And, and um, as I was reading this article, and I wasn't for a random reason, I wasn't just randomly reading this. I had a purpose. It was for sake of illustration. But I was, as I was reading this article, I saw one that kind of stood out to me, and it was that of a gem cutter. And it's kind of, it stood out to me because it's something that no one thinks about when you're looking to buy a necklace or looking to buy a ring. You don't think about the work that goes in behind this, but it is a pretty intricate job that, and a complicated job that has many steps. So I wrote down a couple of these steps to, to il- illustrate sort of that process. Step one, use a fine tip marker to draw your desired shape onto your gemstone. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't trace a circle on a piece of paper, so I'm out right there. I'm done there, so I couldn't even do that. Step two, secure the gemstone in a vise or clamp to make sure it's steady and to avoid tips of your fingers from getting too close to the cutting wheel. So, you know, there's a little bit of danger involved, obviously. You don't want to hurt yourself, and so there's some things you got to do to be careful to make sure you don't. Step three, hold the Dremel tool firmly by the rubber grip before turning it on and choosing a speed that you feel comfortable with. Note, if you set the speed higher, it will cut deeper and may damage the stone, so so it's wise to start slow until you get a feel for the tool. So as you can see, it's kind of a a process that's that's a little bit intricate. It's a little bit complicated. It's a process that that takes precision, and and it's not easy to do just for someone like me. And and so this this, uh, job that is cutting a gemstone, it's a little bit difficult. And, and they, you can't put the speed too high or you'll damage the stone and there's precision to get the exact shape and, and size that you want it. And even once you get the exact shape and size that you want it, after that you still have a little bit of a task. You gotta polish the gemstone. And you do that with some polishing formulas. There's a couple different ways people do it. But you do this and all of this goes into making this little gem that you buy from the store for a lot of money. There's a, there's a big process that, got, that goes into this product that you buy. Uh, last sermon I preached, I used an illustration of, of a parent's punishment. And I used some personal stories um, from my life of, of problems I had with authority and, and, and kind of mirrored um, the punishment that, that I received and, and how I perceived it in, in accordance to what Israel, how they would have perceived maybe their punishment. And, and I, I bring this up again because what happened to me and and what was what was what was brought on to me is something that I didn't get at the time you know being punished and and um being under authority I I didn't get it you know you ne- you never get why why you're getting in trouble you know you know you did wrong but sometimes you don't you don't know what the purpose is and and there's this process that goes into making you who you are but now as a as a 20 year old man as as someone who's getting older and and someone who's starting to 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 learn more about authority and how it works and someone who's growing and and getting older I can I can stand before you today and say there was a there was a process that made me who I am today there was a, and I'm sure a lot of other people in here could testify that same thing that there was a process that went into making you who you were today as a person as a believer and 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 so on you know, Peter recognizes this in our text tonight. And he talks on this because we have the tendency to not understand the process. We have the tendency to, to while we're in the process, to not understand why what's happening is happening. You know, just as, as a kid, as, as I didn't understand why I had to be punished, we as adults and as believers, we can sometimes not understand the process that's going into making us who we are. But before... He gets into that. He starts out with something that believers needed to know to understand for this message that he's about to relay to them. He tells them of our hope 
in His gift. Our hope in His gift. In, in verses 3 through, through 4, He says this. He says, Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to, according to His abundant mercy. So Jesus, because of His abundant mercy, died for us. And it was mercy because we are wicked sinners. It's mercy because our human nature is that of sin. So it's mercy because we deserve an eternity in hell, but because of that mercy, Jesus died for us. It's mercy because we deserve, we deserve hell, but we get heaven. God died for us. And, and, and we're born again because of the death of Jesus, because of this mercy. Because of the gift we, He gave, we have salvation. Because Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, you have salvation. If you're a Christian in here tonight, you have salvation because of the mercy that Jesus given to us, because of the gift that he's given. But, and, it, and it was mercy because we didn't deserve it, but he gave that gift anyway. And because of that, we have salvation. And because of all that, we have hope. We have hope of, of salvation. We have hope that our bills won't last forever, Amen. <laughs> We have hope that if you lost a loved one and they were saved as well, that you'll see them again. We have hope that the pains on this earth won't be forever because there's an eternity in heaven waiting for us. We have hope because of that gift, because of Jesus' mercy. We have hope that death can't conquer us because our Savior conquered death. Because of where we're going, we can have hope. To an eternity in heaven, it says. To an inheritance, undefiled. It's saying, it's saying we're going to a place that, that mold can't grow in and that fire can't burn and that, that rust can't destroy. We're, we're going to a place that's undefiled. We have an inheritance. It's ours to take. If we're saved in here tonight, we have, we have hope because of the mercy that God's given us and we have, and also because of where we're going to an inheritance undefiled because Jesus died for us. We have hope in that. We have hope because of our inheritance. You know, I've, I've made a couple hospital visits in my life. Being a pastor's kid, every now and then, if I, if I knew the person in the, the hospital, I'd tag along with dad and, and go and visit, and visit in the hospital. And, and I've gone on a couple in my life, and, and you get different things inside the hospital room. Uh, but I remember this one specific time, and, and I asked him because I wanted to be sure I didn't embarrass anyone or anything. But I remember going with dad. I was coming back from college on a visit, Thanksgiving break, and uh, Pastor Forsberg was in the hospital. And he had missed that Sunday, and so after Sunday, Dad said he was going to, to visit Pastor Forsberg, and so I decided to come with him because I hadn't seen him yet. And, and, and as I was going along in the car, there was a couple things that, that I understood. I understood that he was in pain, and, and I understood that he wasn't feeling well. I understood that he was probably discouraged because... Because he was in the hospital, he had to miss a Sunday. It's, it's just, it just opens up a door of, of painful things. And so I understood that going into the room, I, I didn't know what to expect, but, but what I expected was, was probably a sad countenance of someone that was maybe broken in the moment. That's, that's what's what I expected. But I remember walking in the hospital room with Pastor and, and seeing Pastor Forsberg smiling and seeing him cracking jokes like he does and seeing him happy. And seeing him, and seeing him, seeing him in this good position, and, and I remember, I remember seeing that, and, and and being curious, how, how, how is he, and why does he feel like this? I remember that specific day. I was kind of a little bit grumpy because I had a couple things going on that day. I was preaching that night, and so that's sometimes stressful. And 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 I remember feeling myself a little grumpy, and I was not in a hospital. And I remember Pastor Forsberg seemed like he was happier than I was, and I didn't get it. I didn't get why. But I remember this sentiment that he gave. 
I can't remember the exact words, and I don't want to quote him, and, and Pastor and I even talked about it a little bit afterwards, but I remember this sentiment of this, this world is not my home. I remember the sentiment of this, that no matter what happens here, I, I'm going to heaven, I'm a child of God. And I remember that sentiment he gave, and I won't forget it, because, and, and how could he have that? It's because he had hope. It's because he had hope that this pain wasn't going wasn't gonna to be, be upon him forever. It's because he has hope in an eternity in heaven, and we have that hope as Christians. But maybe you're here tonight, and you're not saved, and you don't have that hope. And if that's you, if you're here and you, you don't have that hope, it doesn't matter what you've done, and it doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't matter what position you're in. It doesn't, it doesn't matter your past. It, it only matters your future because God died, and, and because he took all of his sins upon us, and most importantly, because he rose again, we can have hope, and you can have that hope. You just have to believe on him. And so if you're here tonight and you, and you don't have that hope, I encourage you, to accept it today because it's a gift. You know, there's lots of big words here in this text. Mercy, the mercy God gave us by gifting us salvation, hope, the hope we have in the mercy given. Now in verse 5, we're going to see an action that ties all this together. And we're going to see something that's crucial for everything we just, we just heard, really the foundation for everything we just heard, because we'll see our hope requires faith. Look back at verse 5, we're kept by the power of God through the faith unto salvation. So through the power of God, through all that, that's the power of God, and we're kept through faith unto salvation because it takes faith to accept the gift. Because the hope that we have, it's, it's not tangible. You can't physically see it, and you can't physically hold on to it. And so faith is, is really what's required to kind of activate this hope. Faith is what, what's required to accept this hope. It takes faith, and that's the foundation. That's what we need. We need faith. And so Peter's saying, we have this hope because of the mercy God gave us, but we need faith to accept this hope. That's the foundation. That's the baseline. That's what we need. We need faith. Faith is what, what accepts the gift for us. And he says this, that faith will be revealed in the last time. Faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So the faith will be judged. Revealed means to take the co- off the cover. And so metaphorically, he's saying at the judgment day, that's what he's talking about in the last time, at the judgment day, our faith will be set out and it will be, t- the cover will be taken off and it will be revealed what kind of faith we have. We'll, we'll see, Jesus will see what kind of faith we had. And this will come into play. So we have mercy and because of that we have hope, but to have that hope we need faith. Faith that will be evaluated, it will be revealed. And that's also the foundation of that hope we have. And so it's important. Now what? Well, Peter says in this, we can rejoice. He says we can greatly rejoice in the beginning of verse 6, wherein we greatly rejoice in this, in this hope we have, in this faith we have. We, we can greatly rejoice in it. We can rejoice that we have an eternity in heaven. We can rejoice of the faith that we can have in Jesus Christ because it's, it's, so at times there's, it's, you find comfort in that. Like when you're in a hospital room and you can have faith that, that this, this world isn't gonna, isn't gonna uh, condemn us forever and you have faith that this pain isn't gonna last forever, but, and you can greatly rejoice in that. But then he says this, he says, for a season. What is Peter talking about? Look back at verse 6. He says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, if, if, if you have to, if you must, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. So we'll stop right there. So he's saying there'll be a time to rejoice, but there will be a time where we need to be in hard times. He says heaviness 
through manifold temptations. And so temptations, what he's saying, will bring upon a certain heaviness to us. I don't know if you've, if you've ever carried a heavy load. I assume we all know what that's like. I remember uh, uh, this, this last week we went out golfing with, with Brother Gary and my dad. They wanted someone to teach them how to golf, so I agreed I'd give them some lessons. And so we went out and, and we, um, we were playing golf. And, and I remember we walked about five miles by the end of it is what the Apple Watch said. And so about five miles and, and it would be picking up the golf bag and setting it down and picking up the golf bag and setting it down. And by the end of it, you were a little sore. You're, you're kind of a little, your shoulders are a little tired. But it's nothing like the heaviness of the connotation that, that this word carries in the text. No, this, this heaviness is a, it's a burden. It's a weight. This, this heaviness, it's, it, it's, it's a kind of heaviness that as you're carrying, you feel like you can't carry it. You're, you're carrying this heavy load through manifold temptations. So by way of temptations, it'll be a heaviness. And as you're carrying this, it, it feels like you can't. Your legs are shaking. You, you can't hold this load. You want to drop it. But he's saying, he's saying we need that. He said, if need be. Peter's saying there will be a time where we need it. There will be a time where we need to have these temptations. Why? Why would we ever need temptations? It's, it seems, reading that, it seems against what we know. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that we need temptations. Why do we need temptations? Well, verse 7 has our answer. It starts out with that. So it's a continuation. So because that... The trial of your faith being much more precious than gold. And the trial of faith is referring to those temptations, those hard times we have. They will try our faith. And then he evaluates that faith. He says being much more precious than gold. Let's stop right there for a second. Peter's comparing our faith to gold. And we, I, wanted, I want you to know what kind of this meant to the, to the people who were reading it because it's important. Gold was high, highly valued in biblical times. It's highly valued today. But, but gold was what, what, what measured your, your social status. It was what measured who, who you were. Gold was, was warred over. It was fought over. It was killed over. Gold was important. Your status was measured by wealth. Again, even today, we, we value gold. People invest in it. People buy it because, the, because it doesn't lose much value. But Peter valued our faith to that. So what he's saying is gold, this precious thing that people fight over, gold, this, this thing that's so great that people lift up so highly in the world, gold, the thing that people build idols out of because it's so, so highly viewed upon, gold, your faith is more precious than that. He's comparing it to gold. Because faith lasts forever and gold perishes at the end of the day. And, and then, then we get this sentiment. The rest of the verse will say, though if it be tried by fire. Tried by fire, that's talking about those, those temptations, those heaviness through manifold temptations we're going to have. Might be found unto praise and honor. Might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ. So what he's saying is, trials is to faith is what fire is to gold. See, fire purifies gold. The act of copulation, that's what it's called. It's to melt down gold. And they do this because, because gold doesn't dissolve, but other metals do. So they'll melt down gold to its raw form. I brought with me, I brought with me an illustration for this. Let's see if I can pull it. There it is. Gold necklace. This is, this is actual gold. And so the point was, is that when you, when you melt down this gold, what would happen is you'll have the same amount of gold as is in this necklace because gold doesn't dissolve. 
So he's saying, he's saying, that, uh, he's, woo, okay, we'll pick that up. <laughs> so what he's saying here, let me bit back where I was at. What he's saying here is that, is that you're, he's, he's, he's likening your faith to this. And so he's saying that gold, it, it doesn't dissolve, but other metals do. So they would melt down the gold, and as they melted down the gold, uh, one of two things would happen. Well, one, what was, what, what all those, um, imperfections and other metals that were in the gold that were added weight to it, those would dissolve. And all you'd have left standing is the gold. And two, if it wasn't real gold, if it was metal trying to be sold across like real gold, it would totally dissolve. It would totally be gone. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make it in melting pot. And so he's saying, what he's saying here, is your trials, like, like, like fire purifies gold, your trials purify faith. Your trials will bring you to the point where you, have, where you have no point but to trust God. It brings you to the rawest form of faith, and it also eliminates what's not true faith. It takes what looks like faith on the surface, and it melts it down to see if it dissolves. That's what he's saying. And, and the point of all of this is that so when we go to heaven one day, God will judge our faith, and it will live up to what he values it at. We, we must be in heaviness and manifold temptations because trials are necessary to purify our faith at the appearing of Christ. You know, Peter's writing to this audience. I want us to remember this audience who's, who's in preparation to face trials or facing trials now. And he's writing to this audience, Peter. The, the, the Peter who denied Jesus and, and broke his promise. The, the Peter who didn't get why Jesus died. The Peter who, who lost his, what he would think his best friend and mourned for him. The Peter who we learned about today who, who walked on water. The Peter that had been through so much and that we're going to learn more about in the weeks to come. This Peter that had been through so many trials, he's writing this and he has a leg to stand on when he's saying, your trials are going to purify your faith. Because Peter who would one day go to that tomb of his best friend he saw die and see it empty. And, and Peter, who, would, who had failed God, would come before him and be accepted again. He's telling them this, and, and I think, like I said, he has pretty good ground to stand on. And, and because of that, the, the burning of our faith is necessary for its purification and its assessment by Jesus. So the question is this. When those manifold temptations come, how will your faith react? When you're tempted to to stop tithing because of issues with money, will your faith burn up? When manifold temptations come and you want to, to spend your money on things that, that you have the desire to spend it on, you want to spend your money on, on, on whatever it is that you want, and so you want to stop giving to missions, you want to stop giving what we biblically should, doing what we biblically should do because these temptations come, will your faith stand in the fire? Because at, at the end of the day, at judgment day, your, your faith, he's saying your faith will be melted down in this, in this melting pot. And, 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 and what your faith is will be revealed. It'll be shown. And so when your faith is melted down in that melting pot, will it be gold? Will it stand? Or it burn away? When you're tempted to, to give up purity because your flesh is overcoming your will to fight, Will your, faith, will your faith ignite? Will it give out? When you're faced with the temptations to have a relationship any other way than the way that God intended it, will your faith burn up? These temptations, they're heavy. 
It's heaviness. It's hard to carry. It's difficult. He's acknowledging that. He's saying when these trials come, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be heavy. But what, how will your faith react? When these things happen, when you have the temptation that's heavy to watch something you know you shouldn't watch, how will your faith react? When your faith is, is brought before Jesus and, and, and it's in the melting pot, will it be gold? How will your faith react to your trials and temptations? Is your faith the kind of faith that melts in the melting pot? You know, when the time of temptation comes, will it, will it simply melt? I, I brought here this necklace. I showed you this is real gold. I brought another one. Thank you to my sister. You got this one here, and this is fake gold. Now, I, I hold these two up, and you can see a little bit of a difference in, in color, but unless you're an expert, you, you really couldn't tell. You know, unless, unless you, you really know what you're talking about, so, which I don't, so maybe this could just be me, but unless you really know what you're talking about, as a, when I hold up these two necklaces, I, I don't know if you can really tell which one's real and which one's fake. They look alike, but, but what's in them is different. You know, on the outside, on, on the surface, these look alike. But when you put these in a pot, on two separate pots, and you melt these both down, one will be standing and one will dissolve. And I pray that no one in here has that kind of faith. The faith that dissolves in the melting pot. I pray that no one in here has, has faith that just gives out when temptations come. But those temptations will be heavy, so it's going to be hard. But I pray that your faith stands because it's to the glory of Christ at the end of our lives. You know, we have the tendency to, to fake faith, and we have the tendency to have faith that burns up. But I think there's another tendency among us. You know, the graphic up here says, says faith in the furnace. And I like the way it was, it was designed. It actually has purpose. We put the letters faith in the furnace. It's a little bit of a, of a play on words there. The word faith, it's, in, it's actually in the furnace. I, think, I thought it was kind of funny. But um, we have it in there, and you can kind of see it. And that's, that's, what, that's what Jesus is saying our faith is going to be. Its faith is going to be in the furnace when those trials come. But I think what we have the tendency to do, we have the tendency to take it out. When our faith is in the furnace, we have the tendency to want to take it out. You know, that's why, that's why it's uh, so common for pastors to leave churches. Because a lot of time their faith gets put in the furnace. It burns. Some, sometimes they have good faith, but they just don't want to keep it in there. It's heavy. That's why dads leave families, because their, their faith gets put in the furnace and they, they just... They don't want to keep it in there. It's heavy. I, don't, I can't hold on to it. It's why, that's why it's so easy to leave where we're supposed to be. It's, it's easy to leave a church where you know you should be. Because sometimes your faith is in the furnace. But, but what we need to recognize is it needs to be in the furnace. Because what's going to come out of that furnace is beautiful. You know, it's, it's easy to take our faith out of the furnace. But embracing the trial, it, we'll see what's on the other side is worth it. But I hope that we allow our trials to be how God intended them, not as a pain to us, but to purify our strength. And, and ultimately this, 
and this is what Peter's getting at, uh, to remind us of the hope that we have in heaven. We have that hope. Because of the mercy he gave us, we have that hope. And, and, and if, we have, if, if our faith reacts the, the right way, it really, it really resolves in this, of remembering what we have. The burning of our faith is necessary for its purification and its assessment by Jesus. You know that gem cutter, the gem cutter has a hard job, but, but when that process is done, you get something beautiful out of it. Something like this. It's a, it's a real gem. You know, we talked about it earlier. I was able to borrow this. I promised I'd get it back. I, it's been scary holding it in my pocket. It's not mine, by the way. This gem, it's beautiful. It's perfect. It has to fit in this little holder it has. It has to fit in that just perfectly. They close it around it. The shape has to be right. They, they, but it takes that precision. It takes that process. It, it, it takes a, a process that's, that's, that's hard. It's specific. And God recognizes this, that in our life there's going to need to be a process that's hard but, pers- but specific. But look at the outcome. And so... To have faith, the faith that's going to glorify Jesus, sometimes we need to have faith in the furnace. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity I had to preach your word and the message you put on my heart, Lord. I, I thank you for, for the people here, Lord, and the blessing they've been to me. And Lord, we all go through trials. We all go through hard times. But I pray... I pray, Lord, that, that we would recognize that it's needed sometimes. And I pray that we would even embrace it when need be, Lord. And I pray that we would accept our faith in the furnace when it needs to be. Thank you for this opportunity, and thank you for this audience, Lord. And